Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all again. Thank you for uh, giving us a few weeks off. We spent most of our time in Wyoming visiting family and catching some fish, which is good. So thankful for that. Um, hey, I want to thank uh, everyone who filled the pulpit, Dan Olson and, and Gary Williams. And, uh, and thank you guys uh, for doing that. We're blessed. I hear that all the time. It's like, you know, we're, we're okay when you're gone. I'm like, oh, well, that's okay. That's good. Because, um, you know, I'm just thankful God's provided a number of, of great communicators here. And so uh, also I just want to thank you guys for your generosity. You'll see that in your bulletin. Uh, over $6,000 uh, collected by our church uh, to give to uh, Doug Johnson and the Tacoma YFC ministry. I mean, praise God. That is awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> I actually hung out with Doug uh, this week, and he talked about just how Cedar Home is always such an encouraging place for him. And, and so thank you, thank you, thank you. And then as Shay mentioned also, I uh, just want to invite you, please, to join us just for one hour uh, this Tuesday evening. Uh, I know it's summertime, and, and, uh, but we're, we're going to keep it to one hour. We, we really do need to pray uh, for our upcoming VBS, and we need to pray about our children's ministry in general here at Cedar Home. And so if that has been on your heart at all, uh, would you please join us for an hour as we, as we do what the church has always done and, and uh, not lean on our own understanding and, and wits, but, uh, say, God, we, but uh, get together and say, God, we need you. Um, and uh, we need you to help us here. And so uh, join us uh, for that on Tuesday night if you're able to, please. And if you've got your Bible with you, please open with me to Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17. If you're new to the Bible, Acts is in the New Testament, the back portion of your Bible and it's going to come right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you can't find it, uh, there's also a table of contents in most Bibles where you can look up the page numbers. So uh, for a while now, we've been going through this, this New Testament book of Acts. Uh, and uh, it was written by a physician from the first century named Luke, uh, who was tasked with writing down a historically reliable uh, document recording the events of Jesus' life and then in Acts of everything that happened among the disciples after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And so we've been looking at Acts chapter 20, my past few sermons, where Paul has called together the elders or the leaders of the church in the town called Ephesus. And Paul tells these elders that they're never going to see him again, this side of heaven. He's just spent several years ministering among them, um, bringing these men to Christ who are now elders. And he says, you're not going to see me again. We're not going to see each other anymore until uh, we're in heaven. And, and so basically, as we've seen in the Bible, leaders kind of give a departing speech to their flock. That's what Paul's doing, doing here to the Ephesian elders, and, and he gives them a charge. He says, I want you to take good care. He says, pay close attention to the flock. Take uh, or shepherd the flock among you. Um, and then he tells them how to do that. 
And essentially, Paul reminds them, he, de- he tells them how to do it by reminding them how he shepherded them while he was with them. And he says, I want you to do the same thing. Follow my example. And so today's message is the third part of a three-part series on this passage, okay? So if, if you have not listened to the other two sermons I preached on this passage, I encourage you to do so because it would give you context for everything I'm going to say today because I'm not... I'm, I'm going to hit on things today that I haven't addressed so far. And so what we'll do now is we'll review a little bit of, of what we've already talked about. We're going to read this scripture and then focus on some of the ways that this passage manifests itself, pl- applies and, and plays itself out here in our local church family. So um, let's start then by reading. Uh, you can follow along as I read Acts 20, 17 to 38. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent to the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert Remembering that for three days or three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all, these, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. So the thrust of Paul's exhortation to the elders here is found in Acts 20, verse 28. 
This is the verse around which the whole passage revolves. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And so from this verse alone, we can extract three important truths about God and about his church. First of all, it says that God obtained his church with his own blood. God obtained his church with his own blood. So the church refers to everyone who turns to and trusts alone in God the Son, Jesus Christ, for eternal life and for salvation from their sin, which has earned them eternal death. Because, because the penalty for their sin, for each of our sin, and for our sin as a corporate human race, because the penalty for sin is death, God, who is rich in mercy, came to earth to die on behalf of all who would trust in him so that they might never experience that eternal death. And furthermore, God, it says, he it did not die on the cross hoping that someday maybe somebody will trust in me and be saved. Rather, the, the verse talks about a transaction. It says, Jesus purchased or obtained with his blood everyone who would trust in him. If you remember, Jesus in the Gospel of John talks about his people whom God the Father has already given him, who mysteriously he has foreknown before the foundation of the world even when we weren't created yet. So what does this say about how God feels towards his people? God, it says, became the sin of his people. God bore his own divine wrath that the sin of his people had earned. God shed his own blood to rescue his church. What does, that, what does that say about what God is like, how he feels about his church? It says that he loves them to such an extent that they themselves, we cannot even begin to fathom. Surely one of the things that God's people will spend eternity doing in his presence is simply trying to grasp the enormity of his love and the enormity of his love for his church. And so God's church, the, the collection of all people who trust in him alone and not in themselves and not in anything else for save them, uh, to, for salvation, God's church is incomprehensibly precious to him. And Jesus tells you today, turn away from whatever you are trusting in and turn to me and I will give you life. You can be part of my flock. In all of creation, you will not find anything that God loves more than his people whom he made in his image, whom he has redeemed with his blood, and who he was restoring into glory. He does not, the universe does not revolve around his people. The universe revolves around God. However, mysteriously, as human beings are the only creation made in the image of God, he loves us with a special redeeming love. The second truth we extract here from verse 28 is that, okay, let me add one more thing to that real quick. There's a corporate aspect to that. 
that God loves his church, right? But the church is made of individuals. And so you need to know that as a person. It's not this vague concept that God loves his church and I guess I'm part of it. You need to know that, man. If If you believe, if you trust in the Lord, that's because Jesus did that in you. He called you to himself. He loves you. He loves you more than you love your, yourself, more than other people have loved you or could you love you. God loves you and has adopted you into his family through faith. So you need to understand that personal thing. Soak in that for a while <laughs> because he is, he is loving and gracious. Okay, so at looking at here at verse 28, the second thing we can extract is that it says God appointed elders to oversee and care for his church on earth. So this wasn't humans' ideas. This was God's idea. And, 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 and let's tie this into what we just talked about. When we begin to wrap our minds around how much God must love his church, even to the point of sacrificing himself, it should cause us to care a lot about his people, and it should cause us to care a lot about who we choose by the power of the Holy Spirit to oversee his people. And so as, I mean, we, we get to be part of that. As, as God's people, we should thoughtfully, soberly, prayerfully consider what all of Scripture says about the shepherds of God's flock. Commands like Hebrews 13, 17, which I want to talk about from a few different angles. It says, obey your leaders. It's talking to the church. Obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So this verse alone really rubs against the idea of individualistic Christianity, that it's me, my coffee cup, my Bible, and that's, that's all it means to be a Christian. It's like, well, that's not you're part of a family. You're part of a, you're part of a family. And, and one aspect of that family is that God has put some structure in place. And, and I know people don't like talking about structure and organization, but I'm telling you this, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. God is not a God of chaos, but of order, he says. Okay. Because God just commands us, think about this. He commands the church, Christians, to obey their leaders and to submit to them. What does that mean? It means, well, if we have any say in this, we, we, we would do well to appoint leaders we're glad to obey and submit to, <laughs> right? And more specifically, what the New Testament would say is that churches, local churches, need pastors or elders, I'm using those words interchangeably, with track records of godly character and trustworthiness, okay? And, and so I'm not gonna go into all the qualifications for elders, we're not gonna go there today, but if, if you've never read those, you should, uh, just to, be, to know those, I mean, it's good to know. First Timothy three, Titus one, first Peter five, those are the main passages that lay out, these are the criteria you should look at for under shepherds or elders of your local church family. And, what you see is what's interesting about 
the criteria listed is it is distinct from the way that we, what we would look for even in leaders outside of the church because the primary criteria is character qualifications. It does say that elders need to be able to teach, which is, kind of, which is a skill, but the primary qualification is character, okay? So essentially, you're looking at who is the kind of person that we could trust and who meets this criteria. Why that matters is it is a little bit different than, than some of the criteria we use for voting for politicians. Uh, I'm not saying it should be that way necessarily, but I'm saying reality, that is the reality. And as Christians, we should care that we should care about morality and ethics, even though we're not saved by that. We should care that our leaders in general meet godly criteria, okay? What you see is that the criteria is not for elders about professional accomplishments. So just because you've been really successful in the secular world doesn't transfer over to the church always. It, the biblical criteria is not on raw human talent. I remember one of the things Pastor Mitch said before he left was, when, if you remember, he gave a sermon to the church about some of the lessons he learned in 30 years of, of being a pastor, and he said he will take character over talent any day. And it's true. I've, I found the exact same thing to be true. And then it's also not based on charisma, which, and I just, I'm in conversations a lot with other pastors and churches just about what they're looking for in a pastor. And sadly, what a lot of churches want is what the culture wants. Is Well, what we really need to do is we need to find the coolest guy who's going to be really funny, make us laugh every week, um, come in on a skateboard, uh, or ride his motorcycle on stage, and then all the guys are going to get there. And who could be the most charismatic? And you look at the kind of leaders God chooses throughout all of Scripture, that doesn't fit the bill. He picked guys like Moses who were afraid of public speaking. He picked guys like David <laughs> who were the nobodies. He picked like guys like, well, I'm, yeah, anyways, you, you know what I'm saying. Okay, so that's one aspect of this Hebrews 13, 17 verse. The other one that we gotta take, the other aspect of this verse is this. Because this verse, if improperly handled, can be used to manipulate churches and people, and you have to be very careful with that. So, we, the reality that church elders will have to give an account to the Lord for their care of the church ought to make everybody tremble. <laughs> because that means that you're part of that. And it means that whoever is considering eldership or whoever is an elder is, is part of that. And so what I would say is, woe to any Christian or non-Christian who makes light of Christian leadership or who is quick to cast stones at Christian leaders, honestly. Because eldership is, is such a sober responsibility, Scripture says that one really should only seek to be an elder if, if, if he discerns this rightly internal, uh, rightly motivated internal desire or calling to be an elder, uh, if his character and gifting 
appear to align with the, the New Testament criteria as affirmed by the church, and if the church itself and its, its leaders affirm his calling to serve as an elder. Now, with that, obviously, church <laughs> elders are, are not perfect. They're not, we can't expect them to be perfect, but in general, we should expect elders to display the criteria God gives for elders as a general pattern of life. And also, when elders don't meet that criteria or when they, they sin, what should we expect? We should expect them to lead the way in quickly confessing that sin and repenting, right? Because that's the model Jesus gives us. And so, what this verse says is that God has made elders the overseers of his church on earth until he till Jesus returns. The idea of a Christian who is not under the attention and care of local of a local church and its elders is foreign to the New Testament. Okay. That's what this verse appears to be saying to me. And, and other verses in the New Testament, I, I think, affirm that. Okay, so the third truth we extract from this verse, Acts 20, 28, is that God commands church elders, what does he tell them to do? Pay attention to yourselves and pay attention to all the flock. Okay? So, so elsewhere in the New Testament, elders are commanded to pay close attention to themselves by you need to watch your lives and you need to watch your doctrine closely. And then in addition to paying close attention, and we've talked about this in previous sermons, so that's why I'm not going further in this. In addition to paying attention to themselves, elders are commanded to pay attention to all the flock. Okay, that's an interesting phrase. What exactly does that mean? Is Paul telling the Ephesian elders that they must give oversight and pay attention to all the Christians on earth? Well, it says all the flock. Well, read it in context, though. It appears that Paul is telling them to pay attention to all the Ephesian Christians in their flock. He's not commanding them to do something. They can't shepherd the flock around the world. He's saying... You have a local church, a local flock, and I want you to shepherd all of the members of that flock, okay? So think about this, though. So this is where it gets a little tricky because there's a lot of historical and cultural gaps that we have to cross in order to think about what does this look like. And if we, if we are serious about obeying God and honoring Scripture, what does it look like? Because at that point in history, there were not many different churches in Ephesus, each with their own elders, Okay? There was one church in Ephesus overseen by elders that uh, it, Paul and the people had appointed. And so that reality is very different from our reality today in which, think about this, just in our small community, there's at least 30 different churches with each with its own elders or leaders or pastors, whatever you want to call them. And those elders might believe really some really different things than we believe. And it tells you Christians to submit to the elders. So which ones are you going to submit to? (laughs) And that's not to mention all the churches that are within driving distance. I mean, there are people who drive to Seattle to go to church. So given the the many historical and cultural differences between Paul's day and our day, churches 
must prayerfully consider what it looks like to be organized and overseen by a team of elders in a way that most closely as they can honor the design that God is prescribing in his word. We have to be sensitive as we do that to the cultural context in which we are here in America. So without using a shepherding model that is needlessly authoritarian or needlessly laid back, churches and their elders must ask, what does it look like for us to obey God's commands to responsibly pay attention to the Christians, all the Christians in our care who the elders will give an account for? So it's, it's a serious thing, right? It, it should be a serious thing that we're considered. Now, it's very, as I think about this, I, I'm imagining these Ephesian elders, as Paul told them this, were probably thinking the same thing <laughs> or a similar thing. How are we supposed to do this? And what do, Paul does then in the rest of this passage is he points them in the right direction. And he he. He says, I want you to shepherd the people the same way that I shepherd you while I lived among you. And, and remember, as we looked at the passage, we extracted five ways here that Paul says he shepherded them. So let me review those real quick. Paul says he served the Lord by living among the Ephesians with humility, tenderness, and courage. Second, Paul did not shrink from declaring to the church the whole counsel of God. Third, Paul endured all sufferings for the sake of the gospel. Four, Paul protected the Ephesians from wolves and false teachings. And fifth, Paul says that he sacrificed much, he worked hard, and he gave generously in order to care for weak Christians. So there was a dual head to that. One is that he wasn't driven by greed, and the other thing is he worked hard so that he could give much to take care of poor Christians. So, again, let me ask this question one more time, because this applies to all of us if we're taking the Bible seriously. Without using a shepherding model that is needlessly authoritarian or needlessly laid back, every local church must ask, what does it look like for us to obey God's command to responsibly pay attention to the Christians in our care who the elders will give an account for? What tools then can we use to care for our people the way that God wants? <clears throat> and for almost 130 years, our church has chosen to do this, to care for one another by using the tool of church membership. So what does that mean? Well, being a church member is simply communicating with the church that you believe the gospel of Jesus. That Cedar Home Baptist Church is the church family that you want to follow Jesus with. That you agree with our church's statement of faith. And that you want this church and its elders to care for you and your family. That's what it means. Currently at Cedar Home, we have 161 members. On Sunday mornings, we normally have around 300 people in attendance depending on the time of year. And in total, we probably have six to 800 people in our community who consider Cedar Home their church home. <clears throat> now, let me throw a few other dynamics here. On average, Christians in America who say they attend church regularly attend twice a month. 
We at Cedar Home currently, we do not take attendance, so we don't really know how many people attend here once a month, how many of you are here twice a month, how many of you are every week, besides just interacting with you. We also don't know what, which of our attenders regularly attend other churches in our area, which I know happens. So given some of those dynamics and the imperative from God for us to shepherd the flock well, how can we as a church family obey God's word to follow Jesus with a shared common life and make sure that our elders are realistically able to pay attention to the flock as Paul uh, commands them to. And again, church membership is part of the piece here. And the reason I say this, I want you to see, understand that church membership, I understand that means different things to different people, different places. It means different things to different churches. It means different things in different parts of the country. Um, I'll throw in one thought, though. I've thought a lot about this. I'm not saying I have it all figured out, but I know a lot of, some people have issues with church membership and stuff. But I've been in, it's, one thing that's been interesting to me is I, I did two things that really kind of solidified my mind a little bit on the importance of this. One was uh, at the, uh, the Gospel Coalition National Conference, I went to a workshop with a guy named Max Stiles, who I look up to as one of the leading, uh, just uh, friendly evangelists in the world. He's very good at evangelism. And he was, he was a youth pastor for a long time. Maybe that's why I like him. But... Um, He's now basically plants churches in different cultures all over the world. So it was just interesting hearing him talk about churches in Dubai that he's planted, churches in South America. Currently, he's planting a church in Iraq. And what he said that was so fascinating is he talked about in all these different contexts, you would not believe how important church membership is. So this is not, you can't just say, well, that was a cultural thing that just applied to first century. He said, this is really important. And then I talked to my friend Michalisi. He's one of our missionaries in Swaziland. And if there's any context which would be most similar to this third world, first century context that we're reading about here, it would be Swaziland, <laughs> where they have a king. They, it's very remote, very rural. And I, I said, now I would think, because they're going to start a church there. And I said, I would think that you're probably not going to use church membership, right? Because you have... <clears throat> You know, in a sense, the, everybody's a member of the community. He's like, no, it's a sen-. He said, no, it is essential that we use this. <laughs> and so that really got me thinking. And there's different reasons he thought about it. But the idea is, again, not to do something that is extra biblical or not in the Bible. The question is, how do we best to our ability live out the commands of Scripture? And so while I know some people would say, well, Scripture doesn't command it. I would push back and say, well, where does Scripture not command it? Or where does most of the admonitions of Scripture point in the direction to? And, I, and I'm not saying that churches that don't have membership are wrong. I'm, what I'm saying, though, is that this church and many churches like this have found church membership to be a very helpful tool, not to use authority in a weird way, but to care for the flock. That's the point and to honor God and obey his word. So, um, obviously, we, we love everybody who comes through our doors on Sunday mornings, but we do not consider ourselves spiritually responsible for everybody who comes through our doors. Um, we want to be. 
hear that? As elders, I want to be. We want everybody here to believe the gospel. We want everybody to become a Christian and join the, be baptized, join the church. We want to shepherd you and equip you the best way we can. We want to see you leading community groups and multiplying groups and teaching Sunday school classes and discipling people connected to our church. <clears throat> However, we don't restrict our gatherings to only church members, right? This is a more of a public type gathering where we want non-Christians here. We want people, visitors and people who aren't Christians here. We don't expect non-Christians to believe what we believe or to teach our classes or to lead our community groups. We love non-Christians. Man, if you're figuring, trying, just trying to figure out what you think about Jesus and you don't know, <laughs> we love you. We've been there. We want to have the conversation with you. Please communicate with us and just fill out one of the connection cards so we can just talk to you. There are not stupid questions. We love you. We want to talk about God. And we're thankful that you're at least thinking about things that matter. Um, but when we're talking about the type of spiritual oversight that God commands through Paul here in this verse, Acts 20, 28, we're talking specifically about a specific group of people. That's who Paul is telling them. All the flock, he's all of God's church is who he's talking about. These individuals whom Christ purchased with his blood on the cross and who have told us they trust in Jesus. The only way we as a church and elders can know that you believe the gospel, that you consider this your church home, is if you communicate that with us. And the desire of the hearts of our elders at Cedar Hill, I, I feel like I'm saying this on behalf of our elders. If you consider this your church home, we want you to be a member here. We want to encourage you and care for you and your family the way that God commands us to because we take scripture seriously. So how does this look practically? Well, we, <clears throat> it looks different from church to church as many of you have probably been parts of different churches. We, we want the process of becoming a member of Cedar Home to be meaningful yet not extremely difficult. And so first, we'd like you to read just a little bit about membership. We have a, member, a packet out at the information center that just says membership, covenant membership, I think is what it says. It's also at our website, cedarhome.org. And then we'd like you to attend just a one-hour class with one of our elders so they can get to know you, you can get to know them, and you can hear about membership. And then we would just like to talk with you. <laughs> We'd like to hear your story. We'd like to know that you're a Christian. Um, We'd like to hear how we as a church can care for you. That's not too scary, is it? <laughs> and then after the church welcomes you into membership, what's the next step? We put you on a shepherding list. And so what that means is you'll receive a, a letter in the mail from one of our elders and one of our deacons partnered together. They'll give you their contact information so that you can reach out to them if you have questions or concerns that come up. We want you to have a leader that you can personally contact. And also a leader who is, is praying for you specifically and who will look out for prayer requests that may come in on connection cards so that they remember, I need to pray for this person. And in this way, shepherding lists ensure that every member of the church has a personal contact with an elder besides the lead pastor, whoever that might be at any point in time. It, it's not feasible for one person to personally care for every member in a church this large, right? So this is what I would say on behalf of the elders. 
if this is your church home, if you consider this your church home, would you please take the next step and either read through the membership packet or let one of our elders know that you're interested in becoming a member here? This is not like a lifetime commitment you're making where you can't get out of it or something. It's, you can retract at any time. We're just saying we want to know, know you. We want to care about you. And we take seriously God's command to pay attention to and care for his flock. We feel accountable for that. Now, if you don't know who our current elders are, I think I, we do, I do have a picture I just wanted to show. Just this year, who's serving as elders. Uh, can we make that background disappear? Is that possible to do or no? If not, I'm gonna just keep talking. But John Conley, Rob Buchanan. Hey, if you're an elder here, could you just stand up? That would help me, sorry. Rob's back there, Dan Halleck, Chris Meyer, Gary Williams is up here, and Dan, Dan Olson. So these are our elders, and so these are the guys who would be contacting you and um, who, te- who are teaching many of our classes and who care about you. And um, I encourage you just to start a conversation. We're not gonna force you to be a member, but let's, let's talk. Um, okay, so that, <clears throat> that is one tool that we, we use to shepherd the flock here. What are other tools? Well, Paul, what, another thing he says is, here is he tells the Ephesian elders, don't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. And this uh, is reminiscent of what Jesus said when he was talking to Peter. He said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So what do we feed? The word of God. That's, we feed people the word of God. That's what Christians, what, that's our spiritual nourishment. And so at Cedar Home, how do we do this? Well, <clears throat> Man, praise God we live in a country where we have the Bible in our own language and we can read it whenever we want. And we live in a time of history where most of us have access to public education and and can learn how to read if we want to. Let's not take that for granted. There's so many places in the world where you can't get that and you're dependent on other people to read scripture to you. So in addition to our own personal access to the Bible, how do we do this corporately? Well, at Cedar Home, the whole counsel of God, we try, to, we try to declare it formally and intentionally at least three times every week. So the first time is during this time, the, the message or the sermon in the worship service. The second time is during our Sunday school classes, which historically through the church have happened at different times. Right now they happen to be at 845 before the service during the school year. And then we declare the counsel of God once during our midweek community groups. So community groups should be word-saturated. And it's the desire of our elders to have everyone in our church participate in all three of these environments. And I understand there are extenuating circumstances why some people just can't, right? Most of us can and we're not tied to times or anything. And so if there are ways that we, if you have ideas about how we could do things, you know, at, at a different time or maybe you and another group of people, it would work better for you at a different time, just <laughs> talk to us. And we, we want to help you. We want to serve you. We're excited that you want to get into God's word. But uh, during this, so this is how we approach it. During this time, we tend to read the Bible verse by verse. So we're not skipping around the Bible for the most part. We're not... We just want to say, okay, give it straight up. What does God say? And we trust God to sovereignly appoint the text for each, any given Sunday that we're here. 
We also realize that there are certain topics in disciple making that all Christians should know about, right? There are certain areas of life that we, that we may not get to in one specific sermon series that maybe a topical class could hit more. And so I'm very excited about the, the four Sunday school classes we're going to be offering this next year. And I just want to tell you about those. First quarter, uh, we're going to continue to teach on Christian stewardship. If you spent much time in the Gospels, you know that Jesus talked about how we use our money a lot because it is directly connected to what we are trusting. And so we basically, for the first quarter, we're looking at God's word to see how he wants us to bring him glory through how we use our money, how we use our possessions and our jobs and our talents and our relationships, okay? Second quarter, uh, we're planning to teach about how God has uniquely wired you and how you can use your spiritual gifts and interests and abilities and personalities and experiences for the glory of God to serve in the local church and in the community, okay? Third quarter, we plan to teach an awesome world missions class. It's an abbreviated version of the perspectives class, um, which is normally a 16-week class, but we're gonna offer it on Sunday mornings. And it's all about what is God doing right now? What are the, what are the leading stories on, on, on missions around the world and how the kingdom of God is expanding? What does it look like historically? And how can we be part of taking the gospel to all nations? And then in the fourth quarter, <clears throat> we plan to teach a class about the reliability of scripture, how it was written, and why we trust it today. And that's a question I get asked by a lot of people. How do we know that the Bible is, is, is trustworthy? How do, great questions, very important questions, especially if we're banking our souls on it. So come to the class. <laughs> and we would love to, to, I believe Dan Olson is slated to teach most of that, and he would love to talk to you about that. And uh, we try to make it as easy as possible. We offer nursery and children's Sunday school uh, during the adult Sunday school and our goal for these classes is to, help you, is to help you love God and love other people better as you're growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we want, again, to provide an environment which is different from this environment, which isn't super interactive, but provide a different environment where you can ask questions more easily and interact with other people, get to know other people. And then the third environment, one more time, is our community groups which is a core part of our strategy for making disciples. And um, uh, someone recently told me, and I like it, he said, our church, he said about this about our church. Our church meets twice a week. We meet on Sundays and we meet during the week in community groups. And I love that idea. Community groups meet for two hours a week and they give us an opportunity to encourage one another, to share a meal often with one another, to open God's word, and to pray for one another. And community groups are not merely one of many different options because we have to really think as a church, how are we going to be strategic about the things we can offer people? And so we can't offer everything, but what are those things that we really think are most tightly aligned with the New Testament and how we want to make disciples here? Community groups are a central part of that. And you're going to probably be hearing a lot more about it in the next few weeks because I know we're starting four new groups this fall. We want to start more. And uh, we'd love for everybody who wants to be in a group to be able to be in a group this fall. Okay. 
we need to switch gears a little bit here. We need to continue to look at this. <clears throat> and we're talking about how, how are we to shepherd and pay close attention to the flock. What does Paul tell the elders? He says, care for the church by protecting them from the wolves. He said, the wolves will come into the flock to hurt the flock and, with this purpose, to try to lead the flock away. So to divide and conquer. And he says in verse 30, the way that wolves will do this is using their words. They will use their words to do this. They will use twisted words specifically to turn sheep away from, two, from true doctrine, from one another, and from your leaders. And Paul indicates here that wolves might rear their divisive heads anywhere in the church. Yeah, it could be in its pews. It could be in the various ministries. It could even be among the elders. So <laughs> a very important question every church must ask and its elders is, what tools can the church use then to protect the flock from this, from wolves? One way we protect our church from wolves is by having a statement of beliefs which we as members affirm here. If you want to teach here, you need to affirm our statement of faith. You can read our statement of faith at cedarhome.org or in the membership packet. It's simply a summary statement of biblical teaching about the core doctrines that God te reveals about the Bible, God, people, sin, salvation, and the church. These issues in our statement of faith are what we would call of primary importance to us and to most, and to every other evangelical church, <laughs> okay? These are make or break theological statements. A person simply cannot become a member or stay a member of our church if he or she does not agree with the statement of faith. Because, and the, why is that? because everything in the statement of faith is from scripture. And so if you can't affirm that all of scripture is true, then you can't be a member uh, here because that is taught over and over throughout scripture and God testifies clearly and even most clearly through Jesus Christ that his word is everlasting and true, okay? Now, <clears throat> very practically that helps us, right? Because it would really... Uh, somebody who disagrees with our statement of faith, it would just be very clear we're not on the same page and this, this isn't the right church for you. Um, another important way that we do this, the church protects itself from wolves and bullies and divisive uh, people with a bad agenda <clears throat> is by the form of, I, of, of church structure it chooses to use. And we use what's called an elder-led congregational form of church government with a plurality of elders. So let me explain that further. I know it doesn't sound super exciting on a Sunday morning, but it's very important, and this is why we're talking about it, because it matters, <laughs> because God says it matters here. What does it mean that we have an elder-led congregational form of government in short, it means this. We're trying to structure our church as close as possible to the way that the churches in Paul's day in the New Testament appear to be structured. So we're elder-led. It's very clear in the New Testament that local churches were led by elders. The church body appoints elders 
to oversee, shepherd, care for the flock. At the same time, we're congregational. Means that the congregation chooses its elders and also votes on a number of specific issues like the church budget and the addition or removal of members and the hiring of vocational pastors. So the elder-led congregational form of government ensures that the church members, the church, can voice opinions always in church meetings, um, in other venues, informally and formally. They can vote on issues that require the decision of the church body. They can choose uh, to vote in or vote out any of their elders. And at the same time, because there are many decisions that it is not worthwhile having us all gather together to make a decision about, we don't need to consult the church on every decision. What we need are some trustworthy people who can make the decision for the, rest, for the church. And so the church appoints elders who meet biblical qualifications and, and hopefully trust them to make decisions prayerfully and carefully. And one of their jobs, Paul says, is to stay, he says this in this passage, be alert. Stay alert for wolves and false teachers who might be causing trouble in the flock. Now, elders alone do not have the power to get rid of the wolves if they identify them, right? This is where, if you read in your Bible, in a passage like Matthew 18, Jesus would talk about the need for the whole church. You bring it to the church, right? And the church would, would deal with an unrepentant wolf, okay? Um, so it's, it is crucial that churches have a structure in which the members have the authority to vote out any of its members and also to, to choose its leaders. Why is this important? Well, some of you maybe have been in churches where that wasn't the case. And some churches have unwisely adopted church structures in which the members are unable to remove its leaders. And you don't want to do that. And that is, that is one way that wolves can take over a whole church. Okay, so... Let's review here. Let's review some of this. Inviting believers into church membership here at Cedar Home. Assigning members to elders and deacons to be cared for. Declaring the whole counsel of God on Sunday mornings and in community groups. Having a biblical statement of faith. Using an elder-led congregational church structure. These are some of the practical ways that our church and its elders have chosen to shepherd you this flock here at Cedar Home. We want to share a common life together the way that God tells us to in his word because that glorifies God. Thankfully, our salvation doesn't depend on us getting it perfectly right. Our salvation depends on Jesus Christ. However, we want to do our job to say, God, I care about your word. I care about you. In a, as a church, we care about you and to the best of our ability, we, we want to honor you by obeying you. Now, when you talk about <coughs> church structure and eldership and church membership for just a little while, it can quickly become dull and even disenchanting. But these are important aspects of the Christian life, aspects many Christians often don't think about. And the reason we're talking about them is because it comes up in God's word over and over again. God wants us to care about these things. And at the same time, we don't want to make idols out of these things. 
We, we, don't want, we don't put our hopes in church governance or in eldership or even in the people of the church. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our glory as Christians is in Jesus Christ. As, as Christ followers, we want to love what God loves. And God loves his church. God cares about how his church is led, how his church is cared for. God wants us in his church to love one another deeply just as he loves us. And this is why the end of today's passage is especially poignant. So I'm gonna reread that. You can read with me if you want. Verses 36 to 38. It says, and when he, Paul, had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So who is, whoever is in leadership at Cedar Home, whoever is in membership through the years at Cedar Home, whichever methods we might use as a church to care for this flock, may our trademark be love for one another. May there be times when we weep together, not because we've hurt each other, but because we love one another so deeply. That's what's happening in this passage. And my prayer for this church, for all churches, is that we would have elders who love our people so deeply that we would see in them many glimpses of God's love for us. And that when we part ways with those elders on earth, we would weep out of love and out of thankfulness for them. Those are the kind of leaders we pray that God would put in our churches. Would you guys please stand with me as we close our time in prayer? Thank you so much for being here. And honestly, I would love to talk to you more. If you have questions about anything, so would any of our elders. We'd love to talk to you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage that you have appointed for this day. Thank you for bringing us here to worship your name, God. We, our, our hope, our worship is, is not in our church or in its leaders or in the, our right way of doing things. Our hope and our faith is in you, Jesus. We ask you, God, like you tell us to ask you in James, we ask you for wisdom. Give our leaders, give our elders wisdom, Lord. Protect our elders. Give our elders hearts that love you and love people. Pray, we pray, Lord, that you would protect our church from the kind of wolves that Paul is describing in this passage. We pray, Lord, that um, you would fill each of us, God, with, with a deep love for, for you and for one another. Fill us with grace toward one another. Fill us with for, forgiveness and and a willingness to be reconciled and to move on and to love one another deeply, Jesus. God, we, uh, we know that we do not perfectly, none of us in here have perfectly obeyed your word, have structured our lives perfectly to obey you, have structured our church perfectly to obey you. We thank you for Jesus, though, who has. We thank you, God, 
for you. We thank you for Jesus who died for our mess-ups, who lived in a, a righteous and perfect life and imputed to us his righteousness. We thank you, God, that as we approach our own deaths, we do not have to do so with fear, but with anticipation of seeing you and of entering glory with you, knowing that we don't have to if we, if we really, if we believe the gospel, if we, if we trust in you, Jesus, and not in ourselves, there is no reason for us to fret. You have purchased your church with your blood. You've drawn us to yourself. Help us, Lord, to trust in you and to rest in you today. Bless these people. Help us to care about what you care about. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys, thanks for being here.